Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. In this episode of the Finance in 5 podcast series, corporate shareholders Jay Spader and Mark Ovison take five minutes to discuss how to distinguish different types of junior debt and the accompanying subordination agreements. This is Jay Spader. I'm a partner in the finance group at Brownstein, and I'm joined by my partner, Mark Ovison. Hello. So today we're going to get into episode two here of Finance in Five, and we're going to talk about mezzanine debt and specifically subordination provisions that clients can expect um, when they're dealing with mezzanine debt. We've been getting a lot of calls recently from our senior lender clients who are looking at deals that have a mezzanine or junior debt component, and they've been asking us what they ought to expect in their intercreditor and subordination agreements. So I think one of the first things we have to do is talk about what junior debt is, and quite simply, it sits between your typical senior bank loan and your equity, whether it's pref equity or common equity. Um, You'll see it in a lot of sponsor-backed deals, and it's a financing solution uh, that solves for senior lenders essentially not being comfortable funding the the entirety of the capital structure on the debt side. But what we tell our clients is when you're trying to figure out what the subordination and intercreditor provisions you ought to expect are, you first have to figure out what sort of junior debt you're dealing with. Right. And and when we say subordinated debt or junior debt, that, that really can cover a huge range of different things, some of which uh, are, have almost no relation to the other. So, for example, we could be talking about something uh, like a seller note or we could be talking about sponsor-provided you know, rescue debt or something like that, that that might be deeply, deeply subordinated, permanently stood still. You know, or we could be talking about anything up to, let's say, uh, second lien debt where there's not any payment subordination at all, but just a lien subordination provision that determines who gets paid in a liquidation. In the, in the case of mezzanine debt, we're talking about something that's in the middle of those two concepts, and, and this is going to be debt that is uh, subject to uh, generally to uh, uh, controls uh, by the senior lender or, or, or limitations by the senior lender. Great. And I think the market is such that, you know, like with a lot of loan documents and concepts, they begin to bleed into each other as kind of ideas migrate from one market to the other. So I think today we're going to talk about MESDAT. So maybe it would be helpful in figuring out how do you identify MESDAT? Because like I said, when we started, you need to figure out what you have in front of you before you can figure out what sort of intercreditor agreement you're going to have to start with. Sure. And the first thing you're going to probably want to look at is what is the pricing? If you're looking at something that's MESDAT, it's it's typically going to be priced uh, with a fixed interest component, and it might be 13, 14, even 16 percent. And some of that uh, might be uh, paid in kind interest, uh, but typically you're going to have you know the majority of that is going to be uh, cash pay interest with a pay often with a pay in kind component. You're also this is typically going to be unsecured. But not always, and, and um, particularly the more aggressive mezzanine lenders these days are asking for security interest fairly often. Very often there's a warrant component to this deal because these um, you know, mezzanine lenders uh, are seeing the, the equity. They want part of the upside value in the deal. If they hit a home run, they want to make sure they're, they're really um, in the money. And typically these are going to be non-amortizing loans. So in other words, there are interest payments, but you're not going to be making principal payments until maturity. Yeah, and looking at that, you can really – its characteristics really do reflect where it sits in the capital structure. When you think of items like warrants or board observer rights, non-amortizing, things that have a real equity feel to it, but yeah, certainly a piece of debt. So we've kind of set the stage there. You have a deal where you have a senior lender. 
you have a junior lender. So like any good finance lawyer, the first thing you think of is, okay, I'm going to need an intercreditor. We need to begin to think about how we're going to govern the relationship between these two lending parties um, where they have a shared collateral pool. So the intercreditor subordination agreement, the names are somewhat interchangeable. I think with MES, it's more often than not called a subordination agreement, is going to govern a whole host of issues um, from permitted payments. Um, it's going to have lien subordination. If they do have that lien, it's going to have a payment subordination concept. You know, typically, the junior creditor is going to be expected to waive certain rights it would typically have in bankruptcy, uh, whether it's as a secured or an unsecured creditor. There's going to be restrictions on amendments to the junior debt. That's, that's one right that is reciprocal, though. So the senior lender is also going to be restricted in its ability to amend its senior documents. And there's also going to be a senior debt cap. So when you wonder what does a junior lender get out of this entire arrangement, other than being invited into the transaction, is that they need to have an understanding of how much senior debt is going to sit in front of them. So I think all of those concepts are are sort of pretty intuitive, easy to understand, and not usually a subject of particularly intense negotiation, although I guess lawyers can have intense negotiations about any one of these things. I find in my practice when dealing with associates and and folks across the table for myself, it's really the, the two biggest items that are you know nuanced and most heavily negotiated are the concepts of payment blockage and the concept of an enforcement action standstill. And you'll just hear them called payment blockage and standstill. And not only do they have their own nuances, but I often find folks kind of conflate these two ideas. So it might be helpful if you kind of unpack for us first, what is payment blockage? The idea behind being subordinated is you may not get paid. If the senior is not getting paid, then you typically are not going to get paid. In some cases, even if the senior is getting paid, you may not get paid everything that you expect to get paid uh, right away. So, yeah, there, there really are two flavors of payment blockage. If there is a true payment default on the senior loan, you're typically going to have a, a permanent payment blockage at the junior level, and that's just characteristic of a, a mezzanine loan. It's subordinated debt. If the senior's not getting paid, then the mez is not going to get paid. However, there are also other defaults, and these might be a, a covenant default, for example, the, the uh, borrower might be out of compliance on its leverage covenant or its fixed charge uh, covenant or something like that. And the senior may be getting nervous about the borrower's ability in the future to make payments. And so it may say, look, we need to block uh, the mezzanine payments. And, and senior lenders typically do have a right to do that under a mezzanine uh, subordination agreement. Mm-hmm. And when thinking about this, this is, and, and this is often something that gets confused too, this would be a notice coming from the senior lender to the junior lender um, notifying them that they are being blocked. So it's a senior lender is going to take action and deliver a blockage notice. And as Mark said, depending on the type of default, that blockage, it could be permanent, it could expire. Like any of these documents, it comes in a lot of different flavors. But conceptually, those are the two big uh, buckets in which these payment blockages exist. Now, what is, and I find this this concept sort of even more bewildering sometimes, and the payment blockage concept is the enforcement standstill or simply called kind of the standstill provisions here. I guess, high level, what, what's the senior lender requesting there or requiring, and, and what's the impact of that provision? Yeah, and, and it is confusing. In, this, in the case of a payment default, you're typically going to have a limited period of time, and it might be 180 days, that the, the, the senior lender says, all right, your payments are blocked starting today. And in the case of a, a, unless we have a payment default on the senior side, that, that payment blockage is going to expire after that 180-day period. So what's going to be the mezzanine lender's response to that? Well, obviously, they're going to want to come to the table and have a discussion. 
And how does the mezzanine lender, why does anyone listen to them? Well, the reason anyone listens to them is because they threaten to take some kind of action against the collateral or against the borrower. Um, So, for example, they may come to the table and say, look, I'm ready to start exercising enforcement remedies. I've been blocked now. Maybe they've been blocked for a few months and they think things aren't going along very well or things are not progressing how they would like them to. So they say, look, here's my notice to you. I want to take action against uh, this borrower. Now, in a a mezzanine subordination agreement, we have a concept of a, a standstill period that would start to run at the time the mezzanine lender gives that notice. Let, let's say a uh, senior lender blocks a payment on day one. Mezzanine lender comes back on day 60 and says, I want to start exercising remedies. Um, now there's a six-month standstill that runs from day 60. Uh, I, I, six months is the typical period of time. Uh, but that standstill period runs from day 60 until it expires. And that gives the senior lender some breathing room Uh, to either work something out or begin its own liquidation. Exactly. All right. Well, thanks, Mark. That's it for Finance in 5, Part 2. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farbershreck podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.